All right. Hey, everybody. Um, we are starting again with the live this week. So we're starting to do this a regular thing every Wednesday, doing a live with various people. This is a bit of a different guest than um, we probably will usually have on the channel. We'll usually have stuff that's very focused in on apologetics. Um, but I have a friend of mine who was actually my youth pastor uh, growing up and college pastor growing up. And now he is the the chaplain for the Denver Broncos. And he's been just an awesome person in my own life. Um, I would honestly say that there's been some big changes in the direction that um, I was moving in life that I blame on Reza. Um, and so it's, okay. it's an honor to uh, have him on the show. And so I'm excited to have him join us. Um, Reza, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, man, no, it's, it's an honor to be here. So thankful for your life and just to see all that the Lord has done, is doing in your life. And uh, man, thanks for inviting me to be a part of this. Yeah, for sure. So I think one of the cool things, Reza, to your, your story is especially your story coming to know the Lord. Um, you yeah. know, a lot, of, a lot of people have more of a background like myself of kind of just growing up in the church or things like that. Um, and excited. It, it's cool to hear someone that ha came from a very, very different background um, to share with us. And so I wanted to start off, could you tell us a little like, I can't remember, you were born in Iran, correct? And then you guys yeah, moved yeah. over here. How did that journey even happen? And then like how your family were Muslims, how strong mm -hmm. were you guys in that? Yeah. So, yeah. So I was born in Iran, um, Iran, if you're from America, Iran, if you're from Iran, um, <laughs> I was enough. born there and I was born in 77. Um, my dad was actually an exchange student. And so when he was doing his undergrad, he came to the United States, did his undergrad in Missouri, went back to Iran, met my mom, got married. They had me. And then my dad actually worked for an oil company that was owned by the Shah of Iran, the, the, the former king, ruler of Iran. So he actually worked for an oil company that the Shah had owned. And so he got sent to work in Houston for a year. Obviously, there was an oil company. So he was doing dealings on working with stuff in Houston. And so we were actually living. So he brought my mom and I with them because we we're going to be here for a, for a year. And so he brought my mom and I, and so we were actually, we were in the United States in 1979 when the revolution happened in Iran. And so there was a revolution that had happened. The Ayatollah um, was put into power. The Shah was overthrown. And so obviously my dad, who used to work for the Shah's oil company, um, really couldn't go back uh, for a while when the Shah was overthrown and the Ayatollah came into power. So we lived in Houston for a little bit. Um, very quickly after that, we we moved to Tonkawa, Oklahoma, tiny little town outside Ponca City in northeast Oklahoma. Um, my dad, my dad, and um, his, my dad and his brother-in-law, my uncle, my mom's brother, they owned a truck stop, and uh, so they, we worked at a truck stop, and we did that in this tiny little town in Oklahoma. And uh, the whole plan for my family was to eventually go back to Iran at some point. But we're from, I'm, I was born in a little oil, oil refinery town right on the Persian Gulf, kind of a, a um, kind of a coastal uh, community, coastal city. There was an oil refinery town right on the border of Iraq. And then there was a war between Iran and Iraq that had broken out. And so when that war broke out, obviously the first thing Iraq did was go and attack all the oil oil refineries in Iran to cripple them. So we lost everything. We were, we were living in that town. So my parents lost everything in that war. 
And so that's when my parents decided to say, hey, we're going we're gonna to stick it out. We're going to stay in the United States. Um, we actually ended up moving to Southern California. And that's really when people ask me where you grew up. I moved to Southern California in second grade. And that's really, I was there all the way until I came out to Colorado in college. Uh, my family, I did grow up Muslim. Uh, my parents, obviously, living in Iran, very traditional Muslim family, Muslim culture. Um, when we were in Oklahoma, that was that was hard uh, for my family, being in Oklahoma, Muslims, being Iranians. Um, and Iran had ended up taking the American hostages. And so there was a lot of weird stuff, you know, growing up. And I think over the years, my parents um, started to kind of fade away from the Muslim faith. Um, mainly because, and a lot of Iranians, I mean, if you talk to a lot of Iranians that came to the United States in the late 70s, early 80s, those families, a lot of those families have completely walked away from Islam because of what Islam has done to the country. I mean, the country is way worse off. And when the Ayatollah came in, it was, hey, Islam's going to create this great empire, and it's actually worse off now than it's ever been. So um, ended up at Colorado State University in college, and uh, that is where I came to know Jesus. Um, as my Lord and Savior. Even though as a Muslim, I had known about Jesus. I had, uh, you know, we trust, Muslims trust Jesus, love Jesus. They adhere to his teachings, believe in the, um, uh, believe in the virgin birth, believe in the miracles. It was just the reality that him being the son of God that Muslims can't get over. But um, it was in college when I, when I was introduced to this idea of following Jesus and I ended up saying yes. Right. So, that to me, it's kind of a funny thing to look at, you know, knowing my dad's story, him kind of coming to a knowledge of the Lord at CSU, um, you as well, with a very different background. My dad's from yeah. Hayes, Kansas, growing up Lutheran, but not really having a personal relationship with the Lord. Sure. You being in Oklahoma or Oklahoma City and um, or sorry, Oakland um, and all your your history there growing up Muslim, also not really having a real relationship because you didn't really know who who Jesus really was. Totally. What was that journey then like? How did you go from, all right, well, I believe in Jesus, but only as as a prophet to totally now I believe that he's the savior. Yeah, bro. So actually I was in junior college uh, when it happened. After I was I graduated high school, I went to a local junior college to play football. And it was actually on that junior college campus that um, I met a friend, man, I love this. His name was Rocky Brown and Rocky was like the happiest guy I ever met in my life. And he was a part of this organization called FCA. And I was like, Rocky, what's FCA? And he said, fellowship of Christian athletes. And I was like, how come there's not an FMA? We need a fellowship of Muslim athletes, you know? <laughs> and, um, but I mean, Rocky was, he was so great and we were good friends and, I knew he was like a Christian. I didn't fully understand it. And I kid you not. Hold on, let me grab something and show you. Yeah. One day, one day we're walking across campus and he literally throws a Bible at me and I catch it and it's wrapped in plastic. No and I remember looking at Rocky, like, what am I going to do with this? Like, you know, I'm a Muslim. I don't, I don't need this. And he goes, bro, just put it in your backpack and just put it. Maybe you'll use it someday. And I was like, all right, whatever. So I threw it in my backpack. Totally forgot about it, Noah. And then after that, after playing at Saddleback Junior College, I ended up at Colorado State, walked on and played at CSU. Um, my first semester in the dorms was a disaster. I mean, it was basically do what everybody else does. And so I did. But that summer, me and my roommates moved into an apartment complex. 
And in that apartment complex, we thought, hey, this is going to be the greatest summer. We, you know, moved in after school got out. We had summer school. We had workouts for football. And then we had nothing. And it was like, we're going to the swimming pool. We're going to party. This is, this is going to be the greatest summer ever. And no, I kid you not, like after a couple of weeks, these minivans, like little minivans start pulling into our parking lot. I remember, we remember looking out there going like, what's up with the minivans? Like, they're not supposed to be here. And, uh, and then kids started getting out of the minivans. And that's when we kind of flipped and we were like, man, the things that we want to do this summer, kids should not be around, you know? Yeah. And so we asked one of our roommates said, hey, go downstairs and find out like, who are these people and how long they're going to be here? And he goes out, pretends like he got something out of the trunk of his car and he comes up and he was talking to some of them and as they were unpacking and he comes up and he slams the door and he goes, well, the Christians are here. How <laughs> like, what? the christians are here he goes i don't know goes, people down there are christians and they said there's going to be christians all over this apartment complex and at csu for the rest of the summer and we were like man it's gonna be the worst summer of our life like yeah. christians ruin everything well it turns out campus crusade for christ a crew crew global is what it's known as now ends up doing their staff conference in fort collins every other year and so eleven thousand missionaries come to fort collins at csu for this huge staff conference. So just to make a long story short, the family that lived next door to us, we got to know really well. And man, they were so different than I thought what Christians were. Like, man, we would barbecue and talk and they never judged me for being a Muslim or judged us for partying or anything. And um, we even caught some of their kids smoking. Like they weren't perfect people, but there is this peace about them. And we were like, I remember having a conversation with my roommates, like, man, there's something about these people. We lived by them for eight, eight weeks. Eight, they moved in beginning of June. They left the end of July. Mm -hmm. So for eight weeks, we hung out. We did 4th of July with them. And we just became friends, just eight weeks of friendship. Mm -hmm. And then the night before the conference ended, uh, they invited us over for dinner and said, hey, we have had a great summer with you all. You all are great. We just want to honor you by giving you a, a dinner and want to share with you why we do what we do. Noah, we knew them for eight weeks and they didn't yeah. even breathe. I mean, they obviously brought up Jesus and um, what they did, but um, they never like, I mean, I was just, I was so like intrigued, like why, yeah. why they did what they did. Yeah. So they invited us over, fed us spaghetti and meatballs, and they handed us a little booklet called the four spiritual laws mm -hmm. that Bill Bright had written de decades ago. Yeah. And they walked us through, God loves you and has a plan for your life. Man is sinful, separated from God. Jesus is God's only provision for man's sin. And we can have, we can live in eternity with God through faith in Jesus. No one had taught me that before. And that was the night that it clicked, bro. And yeah. we said our goodbye. And I went back and sat on my bed in my apartment. And I said, I literally, I, I don't know. I think I said God, or I might even said Allah. I don't know. I just remember right. saying, God, if what they said about Jesus is true, I want Jesus in my life. Hmm. And then I looked over on my bookshelf and this same Bible that Rocky Brown had given me back at Saddleback Junior College was sitting on my bookshelf, still wrapped in plastic. Yeah. And so that was the first time I actually opened it up and started reading it. So when people ask me, like, how did you come to know the Lord? I say it was an eight week relationship where I was invited into someone's life and they were invited into my life and I trusted them. Yeah. I think that to me illustrates like how important it can be to just open up your house and to just be hospitable and just love on people like a uh, book that I read this last year that I think was one of the best books that I've, I've read. I'm curious if you've heard of it is a book called the gospel comes with a house key. Um, oh, no. 
super good. I, I highly recommend it. It And it's written by a lady that she was in, in the LGBTQ community and just got invited to this pastor's home over and over. And they, they never like brought up her lifestyle or anything like that. They actually like would do worship and she just missed being a part of like a choir and stuff in high school. And so doing these hymns and stuff, she was just like, this is fun. And so she kept coming back more for that than anything. And then eventually like that relationship just really opened up the door and um, has really put a conviction on my heart. So I was able to get a house this last year and really wanting to try to reach out to the neighborhood. I haven't done that as much as I want, but I definitely am like hoping to start. um, You know, we got one new neighbor moving in, one tenant moving out, new tenant moving in. And I introduced myself to them um, this weekend and just inviting them over for for a barbecue or something like that um, to just yeah. start building relationships is something that I, I really want to start doing in my neighborhood. So, yeah, no, really what it takes. There's a book that I read called A Meal with Jesus mm-hmm. and same, same philosophy, same thought. And this book actually goes through all the meals that Jesus shared with people. And um, there was something about those people having spaghetti and meatballs that night. And um, man, I, we love having athletes and college students over at our house for, for meals. And um, sometimes we bring up Jesus. Sometimes we don't, Yeah. but it has been, it has been a great way to build relationships, especially with young people. Yeah. Um, of course, food's going to be a great, um, uh, something that attracts young people. Right. Yeah. So now you go from, you've accepted the Lord mm-hmm. and however many years later, now you're the, the Broncos chaplain. Yeah. That's not a journey that everyone takes. How did, yeah. uh, how did that come about? Did you ever think or even hope that you would be in a position like this? Dude, I hoped at one point I would be on an NFL sideline, but I never thought as a chaplain. Like, <laughs> growing up, that's all I ever wanted to do. Yeah. So after, so I became a believer and um, probably one of the most significant things in my life. It wasn't just accepting Jesus. It was, I was, I was discipled. I actually had someone sit down with me and every Tuesday in the student center, um, we went over scripture. We went over the crew follow-up materials, leadership development. So I was discipled and taught how to be a leader and it, I had the ups and downs and someone walked with me. And so that's how I grew in my faith. After college, after college was done, I wanted to coach. And I thought that's how it would impact the kingdom, that I would be a coach and God would use me to expand his kingdom through coaching or to reveal his kingdom to people through coaching. And that's something that I that I really wanted to do. And I thought that's what I would do for the rest of my life. Um, but I found out I coached at Colorado State for two years, was a GA, graduate assistant coach, and then quickly found out that, man, I liked football, but football just got in the way sometimes from getting to know athletes and getting to know people. So I decided to go into ministry after those two years and didn't know what I was going to do. Um, there was a church in town uh, that I was started going to and I would take athletes to. And um, I remember I was in the prayer room one day, just doing a devotional on just kind of trusting God with your future. And I walked out of that prayer room and ran into the senior pastor. And um, three weeks later, I was a college pastor at that church and um, did that. Obviously was a youth pastor. Noah, that's where you were. And you were young as well. And um, so I did that, was pastoring uh, for 12 and a half years. Uh, eight of those years, I was a college pastor. Four of those years, we planted a church, led it for a while. 
And then just realized that God had something different for us. So we joined staff with Athletes in Action, which is this organization that obviously I came to know the Lord in. And so we were serving college and um, athletes and coaches in Colorado at CSU, CU, University of Northern Colorado. Um, and then a few years into that, I got a phone call from uh, the Denver Broncos saying, hey, we uh, are looking for a chaplain. Somebody had recommended your name. Would you be interested? And so it's not something that I applied for. You know, they don't advertise on Indeed.com or anything. It yeah. was just kind of the Lord opened this door and it has been a journey. It's been up and down. Um, it sounds much more glamorous than it is. It really is to me. These are just young you know, 25 to 30 year olds that um, are trying to figure out life just like everybody else. They just happen to have a lot of followers and a few zeros in their bank account. Right. Um, but beyond that, they have the same issues everybody else has. Right. So what, it, what have been some of the things that has been a surprise to you in that? Even not even just as the Broncos guy, but doing just ministry and sports in general. Yeah, I think the the thing that's so interesting doing ministry and sports is, you know, you're, you're working with young men. Um, and then my wife works with the wives and the girlfriends and the fiance. She does a Bible study for the for the um, spouses and girlfriends and fiancés of the players. I think the thing the, the reality is it doesn't matter if you're on TV or I mean, literally, they're walking through the exact same things my college students are walking through. Not even just college athletes, just college students trying to figure out their identity. Like, what is my identity? I would say the hardest thing about, about sports ministry in particular, maybe even ministry in general, but this is the little slice that I serve in, is their identity is so tied to their performance and their sport. Mm. And literally everything they do on the field or off the field determines their worth to an organization and to a fan base. And that is a, that's a scary place to be. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, I feel bad for them because that is kind of a, a scary place to think that a sprained ankle can cause a team to cut you and you're not worth anything to them anymore. Right. So I would say the gravity of that, the weight of that, um, where we would, you know, many people would look at it being like, oh my word, these guys have made it. They've made it to the top of their game. And the reality is they have an, Every one of them right now who's playing in the NFL has achieved their dream. Right. And now it's like, well, now what's life about? Mm -hmm. Wait a minute. I like, I like my entire life was based on making an NFL roster and I did it at 24 years old. What is there to live for now? That's the, that's the challenge. And that's where I get to introduce them to Jesus, um, who is the author and perfecter of their faith and their life. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, yeah. What? Gosh, I so I, there's a bit that I want to even tangent for a second, um, for just it. because you and I have done a couple missions trips together doing beach oh, yeah. reach, and, <laughs> and thinking back on e even as you kind of say, especially like these guys have achieved their dreams, they've made it, and then they're kind of mm -hmm. like, well, what's next? Like that totally reminds me, and I'll fill in anybody that's listening. Uh, Beach Reach is this mission trip that Rez and I went on a couple of times together. Um, and you go down to South Padre, Texas during spring break and you rent out 15 passenger vans. Um, and you give free rides to college students up and down this three mile island um, to wherever they want to go, whether it's the bar, the beach, whatever. 
Um, and then we give free pancakes away as well. And, and it's an interesting trip because so many of these students go down there. It's one of the biggest spring break destinations in the country to just mm -hmm. live it up. But then at the end of the week, they get to this of like, I thought this was going to be like the climax and the funnest memory of my college career. Yeah. And it's halfway through the week and I'm just empty. And this is just not what I expected. It wasn't as fulfilling um, as, as I wanted it, which kind of reminds me in some ways, I don't know if it did to you of like, as you say, these athletes, they've made it in every way that the world told them you should make it. They've made it. And then they get to that and it's just like, man, that's not what I expected. It's, it's not yeah. as fulfilling as I thought it was going to be. Totally. Totally. And I think that's, I mean, that's a, we all have those moments, you know, in our lives where whether it's, Hey, I'm pursuing a relationship or I'm pursuing buying a house or, you know, this job or this degree, or maybe if I can just gain this. And I think it's such a picture, Noah, of like our hearts were not created to be filled by anything else, but serving and knowing the Lord. Yeah. Um, really, that is the longing of our soul, the longing of our hearts. And, and I think that's why, that's why the message of, of Jesus and the faith of Christianity um, was so compelling for me because growing up, you know, growing up Muslim, it really is. I mean, it is literally you, you, your, your performance does dictate whether or not you're accepted by, by God or Allah. I mean, it is like, you got to do these five pillars. And if you do them well enough and you get to that judgment day, and if Allah wills it, it's not even guaranteed. You can do all five of those pillars. But if Allah is like, no, I don't want, you know, you're not going to paradise, you don't go. Right. And so I think that's this beautiful piece of the gospel where the work that Jesus has done, the work is done. And being able to share that with a group of young men um, that basically their whole life is performance, that is, that, that's, a, that's a fun thing. Um, but then it's like, and then you have this reality where you, you where you talk to this and it's like, oh, my performance, my, my worth isn't based on my performance. Why do I even need to do this anymore? And I'm not looking for people to quit their sport or anything like that. But then it's showing people, man, now you get an opportunity instead of earning God's salvation um, through your sport, it's learning to glorify him through your sport. Um, I would say one of the most, um, sorry, I'm, I feel like I'm talking a lot, Noah, no, but that's, it's all about one, that. Go for it one of the biggest like misused phrases, there's a bunch of phrases that are misused in sports. Like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And like, look, I love Jesus. If I'm playing one-on-one -on -one with LeBron James, I'm not beating him. You know, like I can't do that even in cry, you know, so I'm not going to beat him, but it's this phrase audience of one audience of one is this awesome phrase. And it's great. Um, it's used all over the place. It's actually one of the principles that we teach within athletes in action, but the danger is we would look at God as our audience waiting to clap for us or boo for us whenever we perform well or perform good. Mm. The whole idea of audience of one isn't that we're performing for God like God is sitting in the audience. The whole idea of audience of one is that we as athletes have a tendency or even we as people have a tendency to find our worth in what people say about us. Mm. And in the phrase of athletics, it's finding our worth in what the crowd says. And so the idea of audience of one is knowing that our worth comes from what God already declares is true about us, that we don't have to gain anything. We don't have to, we don't have to prove ourselves in any way. He has already accepted us. 
And it's not performing for God. It's actually understanding the fact that God is with us through the Holy Spirit. We get to compete with him on the field, not for him as he's in the stands. And so those are some of the realities that I think really helps help people see sport and life a little differently. Yeah, definitely. Is there ways that you felt, I'd just be interested, is there ways that you feel moving from doing this with college students to professional athletes that you, you do things any differently, or is it kind of like, this is the same, same kind of mode that I, that you approach things, no matter what the, the level of the sport is. Yeah, bro, these are the same things I taught. I mean, I, I could use the same chapel talk for my Broncos, for a college team and a high school team. Yeah. I mean, it's, honestly, these principles are no different um, yeah. because they're all principles. They're, they're the gospel. All it is is learning to communicate the gospel in the language of sport. Now, when I'm, you know, so, so my role with, with the team, it, there are some different things that I do than I did in college. Like sure. I still do just studies just like I did in college. Um, there's a lot more, you know, pre-marriage conversations. There's a lot of marriage counseling. There's a lot of, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, a player might find himself in some hot water. And the difference is when you're in college, like especially at a school like CSU, it's not all over the papers. Man, one of my guys on the team does something, it's on Twitter, you know, and, and millions of people are talking about it within four hours. Right. Um, so that's the biggest difference is the, the magnifying glass is a little bit bigger. Yeah, definitely. Well, what would be some of the things like if somebody, um, well, I'll ask this in two parts. If somebody's watching this and they are a college athlete and they are just like, I want to, I would do want to glorify God and what I'm doing. What would be some of the things that you would advise them of like, here are some of the ways that you can do that. Because, you know, there's, there's the example that I think we see with Tim Tebow that most people kind of think of with that. And I think that's, that's a lot of really great stuff. Um, but I'd love to hear what ideas that you would throw out to somebody. Yeah, I would say the first and foremost, it's your it's your posture before the Lord. That's that's got to be first, like understanding your posture and your heart before the Lord. Where are you finding your identity? You know, are you worshiping your sport? Or are you worshiping? Has your sport become an idol? And can we put God back on the throne and take sport off of that throne? Understanding what motivates you like, man, are you motivated by the crowd? Are you motivated by social media or are you motivated by this reality that you are already accepted? And your effort and your intensity can come from a place of thankfulness. That, that I would say that's one great way to glorify God in sport is realizing that, look, I can get intense or I can get motivated by the other team because we're playing the CU Buffaloes and, you know, there's this big rivalry. But why should my motivation change if I'm playing the CU Buffs or if I'm playing the UNC Bears? Like, why should my motivate? Why should I allow others to dictate where my intensity and my motivation is? But if you allow your motivation to come from a place where God has already accepted you and you are living out and you're performing, I'm sorry, you're competing from this thank you heart of like I'm going to worship you through my intensity, and that's a that that intent that never that fuel never runs out. Yeah. I would also say, I would say the way that you treat your teammates. The way that you talk in the locker room, the way that you treat people, others notice. I mean, I, I've seen people that just blow by the janitors or the people that clean the that that the, uh, clean the jerseys, the practice jerseys, and all that stuff in in high school, college, and pros. 
There's guys that treat them like dirt and there's guys that look at them with respect and they look them in the eyes and say, thanks for what you do. Or they look at the person behind the, you know, cooking and serving at, at the training table in college or in the pros and just, and just honoring people. I think just living a life, um, living a life of, of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Um, that's how you glorify God in sport. It's just living your life in a way that is honoring to God and honors and lifts up other people. That it means your opponents. I mean, when my teams are out there, I'm not looking for them to like be buddy buddy and hug their opponents, you know, after every right. play. That's not what it means. I mean, it's it's going out there to win the game, yeah. but realizing winning the game is just a little W. Um, the big W is worshiping while you win. Mm -hmm. So we always go after both W's: the big W of worship and the little W of the win. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so on a, on a similar note, now somebody else that's maybe in a position like you've been working with FCA or athletes in action in your case, what advice would you give to somebody that's like, okay, well, they're not the athlete particularly, but whether they're the coach or they are working with FCA or athletes in action, what are the, mm -hmm. what are the things that you would give it as tips to somebody like that of these are some of the things that I've found that's been really helpful as I try to reach out to students? Yeah, I would say consistency and friendship are, are that's what people are looking for, especially athletes. I mean, I would even say like maybe not so much in high school, maybe a little bit in high school, but especially now in college with the way college sports is changing and then pro sports, everybody wants something from an athlete. And, um, and I think like, I even think back to my, when I came to know the Lord, it was eight weeks of relationship. In those eight weeks, Noah, I never felt like a project. Hmm. I never felt like the reason that they were befriending me is so that I would become a Christian. Um, I now know that, man, there was like <laughs> prayer let, like prayer chains going out about our little apartment of four that all these staff members were sending out. So, I mean, we had whole apartment complexes and all their ministry supporters praying for us. I didn't stand a chance not to come to know the <laughs> Lord, but I never felt like a project. Yeah. And would say if, if you are interested in serving in ministry, whether it's athletes or not athletes, when people feel like they're a project, they can tell. Um, but if you have a genuine interest and love for people like those people, I feel like they love me, whether or not I would have said yes to Jesus or not. Um, that's what I would say, especially working with athletes is may don't look at them as a project to convert them. I mean, we want to live a life where others come to know Jesus but I want to love people and serve people and actually allow the Holy spirit to be the one that changes their life. I would love to say, I would love to hear someone say, Hey, I can know the Lord Reza because of your influence. That'd be awesome. But I ultimately know it's not me that's bringing them to the Lord. It's the Holy spirit right. that's drawing them to the father. Yeah. I can, I mean, I can totally relate to that. There's definitely like, especially with doing apologetics that you want to feel like you're giving the right answers to everybody in whatever they're bringing up. And sometimes like a lot of times I do feel like I have answers that I at least find sufficient to the things that people are bringing up. Um, but I also know that like to, to lean on the Lord, there's been times that I can definitely say that like I didn't give the apologetics answer in the moment, even though I felt like I had a good one. Um, but I felt like God was telling me to, to ask something else or to say something else. And that has always proven fruitful um, because it's not, 
I even tell people that a lot of ways, like you can say it perfectly. You can give all the answers perfectly, but if the spirit's not in it, then it doesn't matter. And you could say everything extremely poorly and the spirit's in it. And so someone's going to come to the Lord because of that. Like (laughs) I always remember on my world race missions trip, I had one time that I, uh, shared the gospel at this house that we went to. We were just doing house visits and had to speak through an interpreter, shared my testimony, shared the gospel. And I felt like I just butchered it. Like I'd been giving my testimony and sharing the gospel tons of times on that trip. And mm-hmm. that was probably the time that I felt like I, the worst delivery that I had ever given that entire trip of that for 11 months. And then the pastor's like, why don't you ask them if they want to accept the Lord? Go figure. That was the moment that like, somebody did accept the Lord from what I said. So just, just realizing like to step aside and to not try to always be the voice that's kind of speaking into something to let the Lord work his timing, um, not feel like you always have to have the answers or whatever else. It's huge. I totally, I, I can relate to all of what you're saying in that. Um, what, what has been some of the things that you've learned in this since you've been with AIA? Well, I would say the number one thing is, you know, you and I know we raise support uh, mm-hmm. for, for our ministry. And, um, you know, in a funny way, that's actually been a, that's, that's been a challenge as well, um, mm-hmm. even more with the role I'm in, because a lot of people just figure, I mean, they're paid by the team or all the players are, you know, giving to us, which really we don't ask. Like we really, um, you know, we go in that locker room. I want to have a handout to give, not a handout to take. Cause again, everyone's asking things from them. So there is this part of trusting God um, literally for our meals and trusting God on a daily basis. Um, I would say though, the number one thing I've learned is I, even as much as I talk about not finding your identity and what you do, not finding your identity in your sport. Um, it is so easy for me to find my identity in being a chaplain of this, of this team. I mean, there really, there's 32 of us um, right. in the world. that are chaplains of NFL teams that could feel pretty exclusive. And, and I can allow my pride to, to, you know, run wild with just even, just even verbalizing that of 32. Um, but realizing that it is literally by the grace of God um, that I'm here, that Lord could take this away um, the next, you know, next season, it could be like, nope, it's done. I've got something else for you. And so for me, it's not finding my identity, even in this thing, you know, that I, that I'm, that I do. And so I've got to be very careful because it used to be really, when I first started, man, I was really proud of the fact that I got to be the chaplain and would tell everybody. And now right. I'm almost like, I don't want people to know because when I do, when they find out, it's like, that's the only thing they ever want to talk about. And they mm-hmm. want me to, they want me to tell them all the things or they want to tell me all the things they think are wrong with the team, <laughs> which I, I have no control over any of that. Right. You know? I would say identity, 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 bro. Yeah. I'm finding that like that is the thing that many of us are wrestling with. And even in, I'm curious, one of the things that I, I, I wonder, Noah, and you would be a great person to even think about this since you're so involved in, in, in this type of ministry is what's going to happen 10, 15 years from now with a generation that grew up with, you know, likes and followers and, yeah. you know, your worth is, I mean, people are getting paid on Instagram and TikTok if they have a certain number of views. 
Like, I wonder what's going to happen to society. I wonder what's going to happen to people um, in that, you know? So I'm always curious, like when you're going, when we, when we see something in our culture, what's going to happen 10, 15 years down the road. Right. Um, and I wonder like what, what I think, what I'm working with right now in college and pro sports is those that started the club sports mess <laughs> that we're in right now, 10, 10, 15 years ago. Um, that's when club sports really took off. And I'm seeing the effects of it just right now is people that are now, you know, in their twenties, they were eight years old when all that started. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Those yeah. Are things that I think about. Yeah, man. I, it, it's hard not to, to see all sorts of ways that like social media, I think is hugely impacted things and, and the club sports things like, yeah, I could totally understand how that, cause, cause it's creating so early on this desire in a, in a person to see their identity, to be in their performance and athletics. Um, and you know, you talk about this identity thing being the big struggle for athletes, but like, that's, that's all of us. Like, that's, I think the the biggest struggle in all of this is that we all have the tendency to, you know, as I'm starting to try to do more YouTube stuff or even TikTok stuff, when that really took off and people were kind of taking notice of some of my TikTok stuff, it was easy to get caught up in the identity of that, you know? Um, and, you know, it's it's hard not to get focused on that and to and, and your performance similar like you mentioned of raising support um even to to reach out to our supporters you want to be able to show them look at all of the things that are happening and sometimes you just might have had a month that really like it was a grind there, there wasn't necessarily a lot of like great things that i can tell you of like five people that we baptized at the Pura river this this month like it's just not always like that and so to be able to step back even for myself and just say, all right, like this isn't in my performance that I, I got to remember that I am a saint according to Christ, that I'm clothed in his righteousness, um, that I have the righteousness of God according to first Corinthians and live in that and not in my performance, especially like even as someone who was raised Christian ha- as even parents that were very focused on helping me understand my identity in Christ and that it's yeah. not about performance. Like there's still an element of that, that I feel like I'm still to this day learning how to do well. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that, that definitely applies across the board. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's just something, I also think it's just something, a part of our human condition. I think it's, it's part yeah. of the human openness. And then when I when, when I read over and there's so many applications to Paul's thorn in his flesh, I even wonder if that's some of the stuff that, you know, that we can apply because Paul starts that whole thing off talking about, man, I get to boast in all of these things. I think even Paul wrestled with this thought of like, man, I can put my identity even in how much I've suffered. And yet he comes to the place where he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. And it shows me how much we need. And I, I would say this is something I, ju- I just thought of this, Noah, something I've learned mm-hmm. is 
um, a phrase, and I don't know who I got this from. I have no idea. So I hope I'm not stealing this from anybody or, but <laughs> I, I am stealing it from someone. I just don't know who I'm stealing it from right. is we've got to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Like especially in ministry, we get really good at preaching the gospel to others, but I've got to preach the gospel to myself hmm. um, daily and remind myself of the gospel. Um, that's why I love, that's why I love sharing my story because I love reciting the four spiritual laws. Um, every time I share it, mm. I've got to preach it to myself. God loves me and has a plan for me. Man is sinful and separated from God. Jesus is God's only provision for man's sin. I can live for eternity with God. If I put my faith and believe in Jesus. Mm. Got it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, kind of a lighter note question. Um, yeah. What would be your your favorite sports movie that you would recommend? My favorite sports movie? Yeah. Oh, dude. <laughs> Gotta be Remember the Titans. Yeah. Gotta be Remember the Titans. Yep. Ah, that movie. That movie stirs me every time I see it. Um. Yeah, I wish I could say Chariots of Fire. Mm-hmm. I've even seen the movie, but I know the song, and I know the. <laughs> But I got to watch that movie. Yeah. Um, I, my, my son is 12 and I've told him all about the Rocky series and yeah. um, he's not, he's not too into contact sports. So I'm not sure he's so interested, but yeah. I'm like, bro, you got to at least watch Rocky three and four. I don't care if you watch anything else. Mm-hmm. You've got to watch Rocky four um, or Rocky three and four. But on, on the series, I would definitely say, remember the Titans. I, yeah. I just don't think there's a sports movie that beats, that beats that. Yeah. Yeah. How about What's your, what's your I, I think mine would be that. That was movie. I saw that more in theaters than any other movie I've ever seen in theaters. Times. Mike, Michael and I went and saw that in theaters six times. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, we definitely enjoyed that one for sure. Great so. I'm trying to think of others we've, we've like uh, introduced our, our, our kids to. We watched Miracle during the Winter Olympics. That That's a mm. fun movie. Yeah. Um, that, never, that never gets old. Um. Yeah, yeah. The, I, I would get with the Titans. Speaking of your family and that, how do you how do you manage the balance with your family, with your wife and your kids in the midst of this? Because I I imagine you're traveling with the team. Like there's there's a lot to that that makes family tough. It does. It does make family tough from August through January, hopefully slash February. Um, yeah it makes it tough but um you know it's a trade-off i i really try to do a good job of you know in the in the times that i'm there with the team like we do our bible studies fairly early in the mornings and so i'm usually back home by the time the kids are home from school Mm -hmm. um i mean i'm usually here i've coached all the kids in sports i'm at their activities i help allison with you know driving kids back and forth wherever we need to after school so a lot of my work is in the mornings during Mm -hmm. the fall Um, Of course, weekends, it's just, it's just difficult. If I'm traveling with the team, it is hard and um, it is difficult. Sometimes I am missing um, going to church with my family on Sundays or I'm missing some stuff on Saturdays um, for those months. But then there's months like right now, like I've been off really since mid June till, you know, July 26, when the team reports, I'm just kind of, you know, chilling and we're doing a lot of paddleboarding and playing and hanging out. So it is a trade-off. And I think my kids also, um, they take this, um, 
like they feel like it's a part of their ministry too and part of their lives. Like we also, you know, we still serve some college athletes and we have athletes over at our house a lot. And one of my kids' teachers um, asked us one day at like back to school night. And I think my son was like in third grade or fourth grade or something. He's going into seventh grade this year. But she was like, what do you all do? Because Owen keeps talking about his athletes. And he goes, <laughs> and his athletes came over to eat with us. And, and so we told her what we do. But the fact that he like feels that own ownership of like, man, we get to have them over. They sit in, they sit in all the Bible studies that we have at the house. And um, so I think for them, they, they feel like they're a part of what God's doing in their lives yeah. as well. Definitely. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, is there anything else that you, you think would be good to kind of share with everybody in all of this? Kind of give Man, you I would say, thought. well, first of all, um, I want to tell everyone how proud I am of you. <laughs> I think that's that's just incredible. Um, if I if it's okay to give a shameless plug, bro, I Dude. lead a podcast with um, the chaplain for the Houston Rockets. His name is Icky Soma. Um, so it's called Inside the Chapel. And what we have is we have pro and college chaplains. It's basically just their chapel talk in the locker room. We ask them to record it. And then we just play it on the on the podcast. And so sometimes it's 10 minutes, sometimes it's 20 minutes, yeah. all different sports. So um, we encourage you to check that out. If you just want to find out what's it like to be in a chapel, in an NFL chapel or a college chapel or a softball chapel, whatever, um, right. check out Inside the Chapel. Yeah. And uh, beyond that, I, have, I, I love apologetics. I think apologetics are so important. Mm-hmm. I'm so thankful for people that have learned to eloquently um, – just have an answer to defend um, for the faith that, that is in them. And so thanks Noah for what you do, for the impact that you're making, for the conversations you're starting. Um, I'm proud of you. I really am. And I'm yeah. thankful for you and this channel. Yeah. I appreciate that. I'll, uh, I'll get that link from you for your guys' okay. podcast. I'll put that in the description of the video for people. So Excellent. that cool. sounds great. And I got to say, I'm so glad to see a Colorado state hat on you, buddy. <laughs> Set aside that that black and gold uh, yeah. for the green. So I'm, I'm I'm really I know that you've truly come to know Jesus. <laughs> it it took a while, but we got there. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So. <laughs> You're a good man, brother. Cool. Thanks a lot. All right. Okay, my friend. Love you, bro. Love you too.